greetings in Jesus' name, the one that calls on us to be his followers and makes provisions for that. Uh, since you brought the retirement thing up, I, uh, I uh, am retired. I, in the last two months, I had eight messages, uh, so I'm not sure. And in, in my work, we do baking for the Beckham Orchard, Joyce and I, and a couple other girls. And we only work uh, half days. We work from four in the morning to four in the afternoon. And so our retirement is uh, somewhat uh, not too dull. And so we're enjoying that time, though. And uh, a new introduction that I experienced after uh, 30-some years, we are at Crosspoint, the church that Faith started. Joyce and I went along to, with that work. And uh, so that's uh, quite a change after so many years. And so the, uh, we're, we're enjoying and life is, life is good to us. And uh, just the area that you were touching on, Steve, was the idea of um, wartime and what we know about wartime. It wasn't always like that. And it won't always be like that. Uh, I really don't know. A little reading here that uh, gives a point of our non-resistant position. Uh, I've been at my desk for a number of years and I just really appreciate it very much. And an American Eastern Plains still roamed her forest child and the new home of Europe's sons were rising in the wild. Upon a clearing in the woods, Amos had built his cot. He tilled his little farm and lived content within his lot. A just, peace-loving man was he, kind unto all and true, and well ever was his open door, a wondering Indians knew. How but often were the settlers' lands by force and fraud obtained, and the red man disposed to revenge alone remained. And round the blazing tire of the logs, when winter nights were cold, and shuddering listeners, dreadful tales of Indian raids were told. But Amos feared not, though his home was undefended lay, and still his never belted door, barred door, was open night and day. One morning a neighbor passed in haste. Indians, they say, are nigh. So Amos, bolt your door tonight and keep your powder dry. My friend, said he, the God I serve commands me not to kill, and sooner would I yield my life than disobey his will. One gone have I used alone against the wolf and bear, and to point to that fellow man, my hand would never dare. But it shall, I shall put the thing away, and they shall not see here. The old gun in hands unskilled might do some harm, I fear. Besides, the Indians are my friends. They would not do me ill. Here they have found an open door, and they shall find it still. Well, said the neighbor as he went, my faith is not so clear. If wretched comes and take my life, I mean to sell it dear. But the good wife of Amos stood and listened with affright. Unless, she said, that door is fast, I shall not sleep tonight. And with her words, as women can, she urged her husband sore, till for the sake of household peace, at last he barred the door. They went to rest, and soon his wife was wrapped in slumbering deep. But Amos turned and tossed about, and vainly tried to sleep. And then came a voice within his heart, a mal-rebuked it bore. It whispered, Thou of little faith, why hast I barred thy door? Weak is thy poor defense of thine against a hostile band. 
stronger than the strongest fortress, the shadow of my hand. Hast thou not said these many times that I have power to save, and when my servants' tremble feet were sinking beneath the... Now let thy actions with thy words in full accord agree. Rise, rise quickly and unbar thy door, and trust me alone. Then Amos from his bed arose and slowly trod the floor, crept down the stairs and noiselessly unbarred the cottage door. Then forth he looked into the night, starlit it was and still. He slowly rose and waned the waning moon behind the tree-ringed hill. He looked with trustful reverent, reverence, gazed up into the sky. He met his child with loving glance, the tender father's eye. The cloud was lifted from his brow. His doubts were over now. The cool air breathed a kiss of peace upon his tranquil brow. Then back to the forsaken bed he slowly groped his way and slept and slumbered of the just until the dawn of day. That night the painted warrior band through the dark forest tread with steps of light upon the leaves as panther stealth and tread. They reached the farm. We make no war with good men and faithful men. The foremost Indian turned and said, Here dwells the son of Penn. But brother, if still his heart is right, we shall be sure, how shall we surely know? Answered another, Time brings change and often turns friends to foe. Said the first one, I will go and gently try the door. If it opens still, proves his heart as it was before. It yielded, then they entered in across the room and stepped and came where Amos and his wife calmly unconsciously slept with tomahawks and scalping knives. They stood beside the, the pair in solemn stillness filled the room. An angel guard was there. The eye sought eye, it seemed to say, how, shall, how sound the good man sleeps. So may, we, may they rest and fear no ill, how, whom the great spirit keeps. Then noiselessly they left the room and closed the door behind and on their deadly war trail passed some other prey to find. And horror shrieked among their steps and bloodshed marked their way and many homes were desolate when rose another day. But Amos with a thankful heart greeted the morning hot light and knew not until after years how near was death that night. The heart of a, where we are has it all to do with the, the whole subject tonight, and uh, that is, um, you can turn to Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, we'll read a few verses here. I'd like to look at just a few verses here at the beginning, and then we'll uh, go and uh, uh, stay kind of the everyday operation of wartime. Uh, Psalm 2, 12 is, is one, blessed are the they that trust, put their trust in me. So we need to put our trust at the right place. And uh, Exodus uh, 20 verse 13 is the sixth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And so it puts us in a, in a position uh, very clearly. And Matthew 5, <coughs> maybe starting in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say unto all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Uh, verse uh, 20, uh, 38 and 39. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist no evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the one cheek, right cheek, turn the other also. And then a key alone is verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What part of that don't we understand? It's, it's, a, matter, it's a matter of what we do with it. Um, and uh, the uh, times and the past were tested in a very, very severe, severe uh, levels. Um, the handout that I gave you gives you just a picture of of some of the wars uh, we'll want go after all these wars we'll start with uh, the Civil War but uh, notice the deaths and the magnitude I got my uh, help from uh, Google some and Alexa and actually the world book my I went to the world book and but it's interesting how much variance there is in the deaths tremendous amount of variance only telling you that deaths unnoticed didn't really know and uh, the uh, billions, of, I have another sheet that I worked on, with billions and billions of dollars each war uh, was spent. And uh, at the end of the war, nobody really, really won. And we had war to bring peace. And that's not God's people. We don't operate like that. Today, the wars of Russia and Ukraine and the Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip, and that's all storms that are going on right now. The one of the more severe uh, storms that are going on right now, the, the war, is that against the unborn child. Uh, that's one that's around us on every hand, and uh, very serious, about millions and millions of deaths. And uh, government pays for that, and uh, total innocent, total helpless. It's about as brutal as you can get it. And that's where our government is, and that's who we function out of, uh, under. And so we need to be very careful what we say. In fact, uh, the uh, setting that's alarming is that uh, you don't want to get caught kicking your dog or you'll be legally in trouble. But we can do these kinds of things. It's how seriously wrong things are. The one particular uh, that we know about is uh, the, uh, this is an, again just an, one number that was among numerous numbers, but 247,000 men, women, and children were killed on the one bomb of Hiroshima. And that's one we, we know, and that only started uh, to 
and then uh, the war, uh, the World War II, the story of Anne Frank. Uh, there's lots of good readings. Uh, um, so there's a just a, a amazing uh, how how serious uh, the wars are. I'd like to start in the uh, Civil War. The Civil War was in, uh, there's you have that, 1861, April 12th it was in 1861, a four-year war. And the Civil War was one that we kind of know a lot about and we keep pretty much in touch. Um, one of the places where, I'm not sure if you have your, uh, The Earth is the Lord's, John L. Ruth's uh, uh, book. Uh, I don't, don't get that book and then be overwhelmed and uh, use it more as a tool. And I, I did some of that here for this, uh, of War Times, and his, his uh, take on, on Era of Time is just tremendous and well done, extremely well done. And so uh, John L. Ruth has those, some of those War Times. But uh, one that you had been around for some time, War Torn Valley uh, by uh, Joyce Miller. It's a very good read. Um, I encourage you to uh, get your students, uh, school, school reads that they need to do. Uh, it's a tremendous uh, uh, read. One I'd like to look at tonight is Peggy's War. This is just a new book that came out in 23 here. Uh, Carl Rose, uh, Carl with a K. Uh, he, uh, wrote this book and it's uh, from the roads in uh, Harrisonburg, uh, Shenandoah Valley. I kind of take a special interest to that. My lineage goes back to the roads uh, from Harrisonburg and uh, just a lot of things made it very, very special. And uh, Peggy here in this story, uh, her husband passed away uh, during the wartime and she was alone then and uh, some of her, ch two of her children passed away as well. But the, uh, what happened in Virginia, Virginia was the, the uh, kind of undecided state, the, the Confederate and the Union, and so they were back and forth an awful lot and made the uh, Shenandoah Valley a very, very uh, devastating because the Confederate would move through, the Union would push back, and it, each time they would get a tremendous amount of uh, uh, damage when they would move through. It was interesting, though, that the uh, the story that uh, you can't, if you, if you visualize just with me just a little bit, uh, you, Steve mentioned, you know, we don't know what that's like, but uh, just uh, visualize, I'll uh, do a little reading here, but in the uh, Weaver Church, that's right close to, if you're from, all familiar down there, it's the Pike and the Peak and the Banks Church and uh, a number of others now, but the Weaver Church was the one where the, uh, the uh, Peggy was at. And... <clears throat> This uh, bishop, uh, young uh, Burkholder bishop, died at age 43, and so this was just at the beginning of the war. And Sam Kaufman, a young bishop, was ordained, and so he was called to chart the course. And uh, so the, halfway through the sermon, Henry and Peggy heard horses galloping into the churchyard, followed by boots stomping up to the steps and the men's entrance. Many of the worshipers gasped. They turned and watched the two soldiers in gray uniform stride down the aisle between the benches. They took seats in the men's amen corner and the benches and behind the deacon and waited for Kaufman to finish his message. When the bishop had amen and announced the last hymn, one of the soldiers stood up and stepped into the space between the pulpit and the pews. He unfolded a single sheet of paper 
and read the contents with as loud as official sounding that he gets summons. To the citizens of Rockingham County, Commonwealth of Virginia, Confederate State of America, on this 21st day of June, in the obedience to the request of fellow, His Excellency Jefferson Davis, President of the Confederate States, General Joseph Johnson has ordered Gerald Gilbert Means to form two regiments from the 3rd Division of Virginia Militia. Pursuant to the order, all men of Rockingham County between the age 18 and 45 are hereby required to report to the Medical Board and Enrollment Office in the Regiment Courts of Harrisonburg by July 1. Without saying another word, the soldiers walked briskly between the rows and exited the church. Nearly all the women and a fair number of the men had burst into tears. Kaufman returned to the pulpit, shaking noticeably as he stood in the front of the church, and his hands raised, waiting for the sobbing to subside. It never did. And he took some time to regain his countenance and carefully think what he would say. Brothers and sisters, he began, the time of conflict for our people has arrived. The conflict of spiritual forces involving right and wrong. Each man of military age will have to make a choice, and I am afraid you will have to make it very soon. And after another long pause, he continued, I pray that each man will take, make the right choice, and you know all the church's positions on the non-resistance, and I encourage you to remember that, that you are a child of God. The church was too choked up to read, to sing the song that was mentioned. They took a position that we, they're going to have to bring the war to us. We're not going anywhere. And so that uh, drew a, a lot of conflict. And uh, the conflict, again, is the, the Confederate and the Union for taking in. They, uh, they chose Peggy's house for a place of, of a certain amount of refuge. They made hiding places for the men and also uh, hid the, the food at different places. Uh, they didn't really make any difference. Uh, when the uh, Union came through, they would take horses, animals, uh, just for food. And uh, they also were aware that the farm was going to feed them, as well as the people. So there was a fair amount of farm deference given uh, that went back to the farm, but there were still others that were not. And uh, there in Peggy's house, the uh, Confederate would never pay for anything. The Union came through, they took, and they left reimbursement for some. The Confederate was harsh and never left anything. The uh, Peggy's house, they chose to uh, uh, store a lot of uh, grain in the, uh, in the uh, walls of the house and had a lot of grain stored in the house so that they never really found that. And there was a trap door that they put under a particular bed that they, the men, when the uh, army came through, they would hide. Uh, they uh, went to the people in that area, the men in that area tried to get north in the Union where they were not harassed very hard at all. And so they would work to try to get north. And in doing that, there was a a time when there was a group of 40 of them one night uh, started their way north through the night night, and uh, partway through that trip to the north 
to Ohio, they were actually headed. They uh, were ambushed by two soldiers, and they, uh, Confederate soldiers, and they took, and, uh, took them in and took them in captive. There's 40 men and uh, two soldiers, and uh, there's just a, a young Christian was a long, a young boy, he refers more about him, but uh, he said, you know, what, we, we can take these guys out. It's that simple, two guys, we can take them out and then we can be on our way. And he was made clear that that's not where we're at. We, we can't do that. We, we're not going to be doing that. And so they went along and went to the prison, the camp for COs or the prison for COs that were not willing to fight. They were uh, put in jail uh, out on the army fronts. And uh, they were uh, also a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> A lot of struggles as far as uh, they were questioned. Uh, other people would, some, some had to go in, in, forced to go along in, and they just didn't shoot. And uh, the generals uh, picked them out and said, well, you know, they're telling me you didn't shoot. He said, no, I, said, I didn't, didn't see anything to shoot at. Well, he said, didn't see all those Yankees? Well, he said, I, I don't shoot Yankees. I don't shoot people. Well, he said, we, we want to take, we ought to just shoot, take you out and shoot you. He said, well, it's, it's up to you, but I can't shoot. And uh, those were harsh uh, things. And, and at the prison camp, it was uh, very uh, hard. It was uh, Thunder, or Castle Thunder was a prison where they were at, the 40 men. And uh, one particular occasion, they went uh, and they were told that don't look out the windows. There's a, some windows were there. The people around hate you because they know why you're there. They know you're not fighting, so they hate you. But a young man, he went up to the window and he, he got shot at and uh, splattered the glass. And he was not injured that much except the glass splattered in his eyes. And there was a doctor along with his 40 group. <laughs> and he said he thinks he can help him and take the glass out, but uh, he needs some help. He said uh, two men sit on each leg and one on each arm and somebody sit on his head. And he said, I can take this glass out for him. And he did, he, he was successful, he did. But that's the kind of brutal levels that they had to work with. And uh, they were, uh, uh, one particular uh, setting, there was a, um, one of the prisoners laying right next to a un, very uninsulated wall. And they heard the guards on the other side. And the guards were talking and they said, you know, he said, our major problem is we can't get these guys angry. He said, if we could get them angry, we could take them to militant and shoot them. But we can't get them angry. They, they don't. And, uh, of course, they heard that. But they knew that, and that's who they were. And uh, <clears throat> one particular setting was they uh, uh, told the, the guards that they, they are not, they're, they're not, uh, won't make any trouble. And uh, they... Uh, lived that very, very much. Uh, it was uh, this back and forth. Uh, Union was taking charge. Confederate would take charge. And toward the end of the, of the war, Union was taking more charge and was winning more and more through the Shenandoah Valley. And while they were doing that, they were came through and told the people in advance that we're going to be burning all the buildings down. Uh, today, when we see in the news, you see all those buildings destroyed, and, oh, how a terrible shame, how awful. But this was wartime back then, too. 
And so they would tell the people that they're going to be coming through this, this afternoon or tonight within hours and be burning the buildings. They, the idea of the Union was burning all the buildings and all the fields so that when the Confederate would come through, they wouldn't have anything to live off of. It had nothing to go. So they were destroying their ability to survive the Confederate. And um, so they would load the things on the wagon and go up in the woods and kind of be survival of what they had. Uh, Peggy went down to her house and pleaded with them not to burn her house, but she's a widow. And yeah, yeah, there's lots of widows these days, you know. And, and so she said, no, she said, just up here by the church, my husband was just buried not long. And, and so they went up and looked, and there was his grave. And so they didn't burn her house, but they did a lot of others in order to get the place where they had everything destroyed. There was nothing to go on. The Civil War was really brutal. It was so that uh, lives were, were lost. Uh, World War I was in July 28, 1914, to a four-year war to November 11, 1918. Joyce's grandmother was born in 1906, three, and uh, she talks about World War I. And uh, John L. Ruth talks about it. Plus, when I was first ordained in 1988, uh, I think it was about the second winter, I had a winter Bible school assignment, and my topic was uh, the life and story of Oria Miller. Now, that, there's not anybody here old enough to ring a bell with Oria Miller, but I knew Oria Miller. Ori was from the African congregation. And uh, he was married to Wolf, uh, and she, her, her father, owned the shoe factories in Akron. All those brick buildings that you see in Akron <coughs> were a uh, shoe factory. And a lot of us Mennonite guys, uh, guys worked there. But Ori was uh, very instrumental in running that. He was also instrumental at the effort of church. And he went through a lot. I think he says, Paul Hollinger, my senior bishop, uh, knows about, sat, sat in those meetings, but he was in Lot about eight times and was never ordained. And he was rather emphatic about it. something's wrong, something's not right. However, as it is, God used Ori Miller in a powerful way that never could have used him if he had been ordained. He was, uh, in World War I, he was uh, not as much uh, refugee things, but uh, he did more on um, relief. In fact, uh, on July uh, 27, 1920, Ori was very instrumental in starting MCC, and that was a, a big thing for relief. Uh, in World War I, uh, I'm not sure if this is maybe a familiar book, uh, Loyalness, uh, Why I Can't, Couldn't Fight, and uh, gives a lot of stories about him and uh, in World War I. There was not good provisions for CO. Uh, they were taken to task. And uh, he was, uh, again, was taken to push, you know, why didn't you shoot? He was forced in the army. Then he went and uh, was there, uh, had to go, and uh, they asked him to put, his, put the army uniform on. And he said, I can't. And they forced him that they uh, uh, literally dressed him like a baby and dressed him very, very uh, uh, unneat and then marched him in front of the uh, other uh, uh, soldiers. 
Another occasion where Lloyd Ness was uh, beat up, uh, beat in the face until he just collapsed and uh, then came to and was, was all right then. But uh, just brutal uh, anger like that went, went uh, to them. And uh, the uh, COs were again was not, uh, not angry. They wouldn't return any, uh, f any fight. And the uh, loyalness talks about the uh, times when uh, one of the, one of the uh, COs got a basket, from, a gift basket from home and uh, a lot of, uh, some, a lot of goodies in and one thing was a real nice big apple and uh, this uh, CO went and gave it to the general that was very harsh to him and gave it to him and said, here's from, from home a gift for you. And uh, the, so that the, the general just broke down and uh, couldn't handle the, the heart love feeling that, that he felt. And so they did that. There was another individual that was used very harshly and uh, he uh, uh, had a, this soldiers that were giving him a hard time, he had them for praying, and he just spent lots of time praying for them. And uh, that's what they did. There was an occasion where they pushed him pretty hard as, you voted for this president, now you have to fight. I never voted, I, ne I never voted in my life, and uh, didn't, didn't uh, participate in voting at all. Amos Hoover, the historian, as some of you would know, um, I approached him about these wartime Sundays. He says there's a lot of good letters. I'm not sure. They're, they're in the libraries, different places, and I didn't take time or have time or really need more material. But he said there's some good letters that would have been written back and forth. He says there was two uh, men that were in this, in a particular letter that he talks about, were literally starved to death because of anger against them, and uh, they didn't have, have an option and that was in World War uh, One. In World War Two came along. Ori was very, uh, very again, very instrumental, and uh, he uh, was uh, got the uh, CPS camps going. Uh, if you know a little bit of, uh, back in World War Two, the CPS camps were, and uh, Joyce's dad was in, uh, in the grottoes in Virginia. Uh, for two years, he, he worked as a cook there. But they did uh, mountain trails and. Uh, worked all kinds of non, uh, non-violent uh, givers, and they left them. They also left us uh, the uh, farm deference over that to World War II. The uh, CPS camps were uh, a great, great relief for for what World War One was, and all the uh, brutal uh, beating. The uh, next war is, uh, that we'll look at a little bit is the Korean War. And uh, William McGrath, does that ring a bell? Uh, William McGrath, in my time, he was around and uh, very concerned. He was a young boy come out of Ohio, out of Chicago and went into the Army, uh, as many did. It's kind of an honorary thing to go to the Army. And uh, as William McGrath was in the Army for some time in the Korean War, he was, uh, became uh, a Christian and uh, realized that the, the war was not, William McGrath in uh, the, the, the war of that was in the 50s there. Uh, it's just a copy of the letter that he wrote. Uh, part of it, I'll only read part of it, rather a bit lengthy. But uh, by, this is, dear sirs, by the mercy for grace of God, I, William R. McGrath, 
do hereby solemnly declare that I can no longer in any, any way accept or take part in military service or in any participation, training, or commitment contributed thereunto as I have come to believe that all wars are contrary to the holy word of God and it will be ex uh, uh, contrary to New Testament teaching. And he goes on, and as William McGrath is quite a testimony in the conservative uh, circles. And uh, I heard him speak uh, probably a time or two, but uh, uh, beachy kind of places where he was in Ohio. The World War uh, One was a time when uh, I'll say my my parents' age came out of World War One, uh, two out of World War Two, and lived through the Depression and a lot of hard times, and they lived uh, so that everything was really important, material things, and they taught us under that same guise. We didn't live there, but we had that, and then the next generation kind of knows nothing of that, and uh, I. I treasure that. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, sorry, I think a little number of stories there about the uh, two. Uh, one of the uh, one of the settings they were uh, very uh, instrumental in letting the uh, uh, people uh, go that were COs and letting them be COs was that uh, they had. Uh, remembered the story of the Civil War was kind of carried on where two soldiers took a group of 40 and had them captive and there was no resistance. And uh, that gets carried on through other war times to realize that that's, that's how it was. Coming a little closer, uh, the Vietnam War is my time. Uh, I, was, uh, in, I, was, I was born in the mid-1900s, so in 1970s, when that time was, I was drafted, and uh, at the time it was very important that you had church affiliation. I still remember going to see Bishop Leonard Brubaker and sign my uh, conscientious objection papers, and uh, it was, uh, kind of reminded me who I am and who I should be, and, and I acknowledge that. And uh, then uh, the uh, draft was so that I was being called, but. There was 1W service uh, uh, that a lot of Mennonites went. And 1W service was a lot of good experience. There was a lot of bad experiences. Uh, Uncharted un, uh, and un, uh, spiritual leadership was not given at a lot of these places. The hospitals and uh, places. Uh, my brother uh, Paul was down at Patuxent Wildlife Research Center in Baltimore and worked there. there was, they were on their own. Uh, for him, he came home uh, weekends and pretty often. But the uh, Vietnam War was uh, refuted more aggressively. Uh, we know that as pacifists and refuse that. There was over a group of over 50,000 uh, draft people that were wanting to dodge a draft, not necessarily for the right reason, but they went to Canada and were there. There was another setting where uh, a shank boy resisted it aggressively until he was taken in and, and was in prison for that. 
but because he was making uh, a scene of himself rather than open-ended taking the non-resistance. The uh, only service way of uh, serving our country is a Christian aid book. It's a very uh, well done book. Uh, it talks about uh, some of these uh, opportunities that we had. Uh, it's a good read, a very easy read. And uh, we would, uh, that's my experience. My dad had, uh, and my brother-in-law wrote a letter for me to be exempt because I was, uh, they were involved with a female and I was running this and they kind of thought I was the only one that could do it. And so they wrote and asked, deferred, and I was denied that. However, in the middle of that, the uh, draft came to an end and I never did go. Uh, but uh, it was, it was a good, good experience. The little story in here about Johnny Miller, uh, a lot of you would know Johnny Miller for, just by name from Christian Aid. And uh, he was uh, in a hospital working and uh, he was called to go up to a room and he was there taking care of this guy. It was kind of a tedious thing and it was very gentle and helping him. And so when he was ready to leave, uh, the guy in the other, the, the other room, in the room next to him, pulled the curtain back and said, he said, you are quite a man. He said, God can use you in a greater way here than what he ever could in the war. He said, your gentleness and your love and kindness. And so the, the hard generals even saw through. One of the settings was when they were singing, uh, it, was a, it was in the, uh, the Civil War. They were singing and uh, the uh, military people just uh, broke down because of the uh, touched by, by the, the uh, character that they had. One of the more recent experiences, uh, it was in Obama's, what was it? I'm not sure what years Obama was president. But we, uh, there was uh, 15 of us went down to Washington. We were kind of invited. Uh, we worked with Cassandra. She was a uh, woman down there that was in charge of the COs and uh, corresponded with us up here, Mid-Atlantic and Keystone. And uh, they would come up. She, she would come up and go along out to Ohio to, to developing the CAS program. And uh, she was very instrumental in that. And she invited us down. And so there was 15 of us went down. And I still remember the day, it was so real. Uh, we uh, went down and uh, put us in a big conference room and then uh, she gave a little bit of a talk and she said that Richardson uh, is going to be coming out next. He uh, is gonna be giving us some information. And he came out and he said he reports right to Obama. And so I'm here to represent you and his uh, interesting take uh, said that there would just probably not be another draft. He said it just could hardly be because all he said we have to do is just put the uh, up a half a year older or younger and we get uh, thousands and thousands of people. And uh, he said it would have to be with three ground wars going at one time to have a demand that would be so many that would be a draft again. And he said we have, have enough of people. He said it's just not very likely that that would happen. So it was interesting uh, that uh, that was his take. And so some of the correspondence, and he said, you have to remember that my responsibility is to, for you people is that you have your rights. And it was kind of like, well, that's off. We expect our appreciation. And uh, some of you, anybody remember the Martindale meeting? Jim, you remember that? It was a draft meeting down there. 
and they, they brought about five members up from Washington and uh, did kind of a mock draft and told us a little bit what's going on from their end. So the uh, setting is, uh, Cassandra is uh, really on, on our side and uh, they said the setting that when, when if, there were, if there would be a draft, you would have the option to do a, a 1W, a CO, and we would not have enough a place to, for you to go. And so our interest in Cassandra knew all this. She is the, 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 they are looking for us to find place for the people to go, uh, young men and uh, to, to go. And uh, we give them scenarios and like Bradford or VS, those would all be eligible. And so we do have a lot. However, the CAS program is uh, more intense. That would be a place that would be working and showing that we are interested in that. One experience that I had in my, my draft was I uh, was called in to go in to register and uh, uh, physical, but I went in Lancaster and a whole bunch of guys and we had a undress to boots and shorts and spent the day like that. They were doing, went here and got this physical and went here and I was so, this little farm boy was so out of place and uh, got out to my car then my car had been broken in, wind had broken and stole my, uh, it was an 8-track tapes player, never, never heard of them, and that was stolen and I, it didn't matter to me, I just wanted to get back t to the farm. And uh, it was a lot of uh, deep memories of that setting. But anyway, and that uh, Washington trip was extremely uh, valuable and it, it was in Obama's time. Interesting enough, uh, just a few weeks before I did my first assignment here in January, regular local uh, newspaper, I actually read the newspaper yet, uh, this is military recruiting. Retirement generals stress early education fitness. The, uh, the organization recently reported, noted that Pennsylvania National Guard and Air National Guard missed their eight, nine, 2023 recruiting goals by about 25% and 45% respectfully. Na nationally, the U.S. Army, Navy, and the Air Force have a combined deficit of more than 20,000 recruitants in the fiscal of 2023. So that sounds like draft is not maybe quite as far away as Mr. Richardson had us, uh, is telling us. Uh, so it is, uh, the, the, the reason for that reduction is uh, jobs are plentiful, good jobs are plentiful, uh, uh, drugs, people on drugs, you can't take them, uh, fitness, uh, just a, the whole host of things, but their their drop is just really, really uh, dropping. And so uh, I wonder, is is the draft as far away as we think? I'd like to just encourage you that we are in the environment of a war on this whole abortion thing. And uh, the other is people one against another in our country and uh, yet we feel so undisturbed by that and praise the Lord for that. So I just uh, maybe uh, just a few months at Bible school sounds like a place where you could ask questions if there's any questions uh, I uh, kind of 
getting across here pretty fast. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our country. In the middle of all that uh, we see as the wrong, help us to stand straight and clear with the word of God. And uh, we thank you for the our forefathers that uh, stood up and uh, took a lot of abuse. And we're so thankful that today we are not living at that time, but at the same time help us to be prepared so that if and when we will be able to stand clear and straight uh, for you. And just uh, bless this congregation as they are light in many ways uh, among the unregenerated people and help us to be a light so that they can see the light as well. We just commit it all to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.